Good morning, it's great to be with you this morning. Thank you for inviting me to come and speak. It's a real privilege to, to be able to come and share with you uh, some of the things from, from my life and some of the things that have been going on in down in Dorset for the last uh, few months. Uh, it's great to be part of the Thames Valley. It's great to be part of the, the wider family of churches. And uh, we really enjoy uh, the times we spend with you as a church. Uh, we love getting together uh, in the summer when we can at, uh, at Wellington Country Park. And we love the services where we all come together. And we, of course, benefit greatly from uh, sharing with you, Malcolm and Tim and Chevy, and uh, just all the people that really contribute to helping our ministry down here in Dorset. Uh, today I'm going to be talking from 2 Samuel chapter 6 and uh, one of the things I guess that I've really struggled with uh, uh, over the Covid time myself personally is just having a really joyful spirit. Um, there's been some great times like I remember when the, at the start of Covid being able to jog around the golf course around the corner it was like suddenly we've got this amazing new park near us and we used to go around the grass was spongy it was great just running through the the beautiful golf course then it kicked in that uh, we had to actually like keep an eye on our kids and actually motivate them to uh, to work and help them to have a bit of structure and then we had to try and help our school kids as well and we were set everyone was in front of a computer nearly all the time and it was getting frustrating to, to do everything that we wanted to do and um, a bit of cabin fever kicking in I don't know about you but uh, uh, trying to find a bit of peace or a bit of quiet or just a bit of fresh air or something or change and it just got a bit like and uh, sometimes I can really struggle to be to be really joyful um, but amen I have uh, good people around me and a wonderful wife who helps me to repent of those things and to help me to have a joyful spirit and so the title of this message is called Can You Feel the Zeal? And it's based upon uh, the time when David brings the ark back uh, to Jerusalem uh, for the first time and, and the, the ark is there in Jerusalem. Can you feel the zeal? What is zeal? Zeal is a bit of a strange and uh, scary word, right? When you think of zeal, sometimes you think of zealots. Of, uh, of crazy you know single-minded people who don't let anything get in the way but just go for the thing that they want to do the, th the thing that they the cause they believe in you know zeal has been defined as a, a dedication or an enthusiasm for something if you have zeal that you're willing you're energized that you're motivated to do those things and I remember hearing stories about brothers and uh, sisters who'd go and preach on the bus or street preach or go down to uh, to Hyde Park and stand up on the soapbox and be heckled but preach the word and I was in awe of that and I remember one time thinking you know somebody challenged me or we had a church challenge to go and do something like that and I remember coming back on the tube one day and decided I'm going to preach remember sitting there with my Bible and uh, just probably I was shaking and sweating. Um, today, probably everyone somebody would have given me a face mask or they would evacuated the carriage. But at that time, I had the Bible in my hands and I remember standing up and uh, eventually clearing my throat. And uh, and uh, I want to tell you about the gospel, but it probably came more across as I want to tell you about the gospel. But it was, you know, the, the heart was there. And I remember getting off the tube afterwards and just feeling like I did it. I did that thing you know the spirit of zeal 
Um, it was raining this morning and uh, I thought I'm going to go for a swim. My wife and I are trying to, she's a, she's a sea swimmer, so I'm trying to keep this going. And uh, it's October now, going into November. And uh, we're going to try and keep swimming all the way through. So I'll let you know how that goes. But I went down to the beach this morning and there was no one for miles away uh, either way because it was raining and because it's like winter nearly and uh, anyway I put on my wetsuit and got into the sea and swam up and down in the sea and either I was being zealous or completely stupid I can't really tell you uh, which one it was but I felt zealous. Zeal can be scary sometimes right getting out of our, our comfort zones but I think um, when I think of Jehu in 2 Kings 10 and he says come with me and see my zeal for the Lord and uh, the guy gets into his chariot with him I was thinking uh, if somebody got into my car with me would they see my zeal for the Lord or would they fear see my zeal for snack bars for the last week and all the wrappers that are all over the car floor amen uh, we won't go there right now but I think zeal the true meaning of zeal uh, is living to please God I think that's what zeal is is when you just choose in your life that you're going to live a life that pleases God. But the big question is, how do we live lives that please God? Well, I've got three points for you today. If we want to leave, live lives that please God, we need to know how to please God. Secondly, we need to choose to be brave. And thirdly, we just need to get in on the action. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. The story of the ark is an interesting one and I'll include uh, for you a, uh, a worksheet because uh, um, I've got some list of some scriptures but the story of the ark is amazing. Uh, Moses was commanded to make the ark in Exodus 25 and uh, the, so they built this ark. It was one of the only things that was like handmade by men but that was treated as, as, as a reverent or as a holy object. Um, and uh, they made this ark and then the many, many people uh, throughout the Bible had actually died by maybe doing the wrong things. Like we know uh, Aaron's sons had uh, had both been had died in the, because they'd incorrectly gone in and, uh, to the presence of the ark. And there was another time when a load of guys even looked at the ark the wrong way um, in Leviticus 16 and they and they died because of that. And we know so we know that the ark was a really serious object. Uh, but in Joshua 3, the ark goes across the Jordan in front of the Israelites and it goes into the promised land and they were like you know marching along behind uh, a thousand yards behind uh, the ark and and uh, the ark went around Jericho before the people and it went in front of them into the promised land um, so it was an amazing symbol of the presence of God with his people but eventually it came to uh, its resting place and they put the tabernacle up in uh, Shiloh and that was where the, the first sort of temple was. And that was Eli's, Eli's place. And so it was there with Eli and, uh, and his sons there. And uh, what happened was that the Israelites had gone into battle with the Philistines and lost. And so they're like, oh, I know why we lost It's because the ark isn't with us. And so they'd gone and got the ark because they wanted to defeat the Philistines and they carried it like this is our weapon God is with us and they took the ark into battle but they lost again and they lost the ark and the Philistines took the ark away from them and uh, and that was a great symbol for the, for the Philistines because uh, back in the day as it were if you could take away someone's gods uh, you took away their power the legit legitimacy and so the Philistines put the ark in their own temple 
but then we know that the statues of their gods fell over and smashed on the floor and uh, and they were like what is going on what is going on and so they moved the ark in different places and wherever the ark went people were dying they were getting tumors getting cancer and in the end they just put the ark on a on a cart and just pushed it and just left it and so the Israelites went and recovered their ark and they took it uh, to the house of um, Abinadab and so the um, Abinadab sorry and the ark's in the house of Abinadab and it stays there for 20 years and so at that time Saul dies and David becomes king and he needs to cement his kingship he needs to be uh, seen as king uh, there are a lot of people there that sort of didn't really want him as king and so he had to unify the people and so he decides let me go and get the ark so let's pick it up in second samuel 6. it said david again gathered sorry i'm reading from the esv by the way which is slightly different to your version but it's still the bible amen david again gathered all the chosen men of israel thirty thousand, and david arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim and they carried the ark of God in a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab which was on the hill and Uzzah and Iho, um, Ahio the sons of Abinadab were driving the new cart with the ark of God and Aho and Ahio went before the ark and David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took a hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah and the place is called Perizuza to this day and David was afraid of the Lord that day and he said how can the ark of the Lord come to me so David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David but David took it aside to the house of Obedidim the Gittite and the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obedidim the Gittite three months and the Lord blessed Obedidim and all his house you know this is incredible so david takes a chance right he gets all the young men all the warriors together all the main guys and they're all there with him and he gets the ark and they like build this new cart and they put the ark on it and they're going along and um and and then uzzah the ox stumbles and uzzah puts out his hand and dies and and david's just like no what what is happening you know he thought this is it this is my my kingship's going to be cement is going to be my my moment my glorious moment and god smites Uzzah down and kills him and david's action, uh, reaction is to be angry he's really angry with god because what what are you doing why hasn't this worked out the way it was supposed to you know that immediately calls to mind uh, a, a, a proverb um let me just turn to proverbs 19 and in Proverbs 19, it says, Desire or zeal without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet misses the way. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. You know, we see here that uh, David's heart rages 
against the Lord. And it was David's folly, in a sense, that had caused this. I mean, if David had just looked into the history, he would have known that that wasn't what you do with the ark. You can't put the ark on a cart. It's commanded uh, back in um, Exodus 4 and Exodus 25. It says only the Levites can carry the ark. In number seven, it says, don't transport it on a vehicle. Don't put it on anything. You basically just just do it my way. Follow it my way. But David was trying to do things his way. You know, sometimes we can try and do things our way. You know, we live in crazy times. And uh, at the moment, a lot of people, there's a, there are movements out there, these different movements, and they all look at Christianity in, in different kinds of ways. And, uh, and of course, if they're looking at it from their perspective, it's easy to say, no, Christianity is not like this. We need to do it this way. We need to do it this way. And at the heart of the Christian message is that, yeah, we should love everybody because God loves everybody. But I think sometimes we look at Christianity through the wrong lens. You know, it's not a man-made construct. David was trying to uh, to be a man-made king. He was trying to do it the way he was thought it should be done. And God put a stop to that. God said, no, that's not the way. That's not my way. And we need to look at Christianity and look at our faith as if it's from God. It's, it's a God-made thing, not a man-made thing. You know, in Romans uh, chapter 10, Paul addresses this this very issue um, with the uh, with the Israelites, with the, the, the Jews. And uh, he says, picking up from the start of Romans chapter 10, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You know, when we try and establish a righteousness of our own, when we try and do things our own way, that's when things go crazy wrong. You know, I remember that's that's for me, that's a big issue, right? Because I'm a I'm a doer, I'm an experiential learner. I, uh, I wish I could listen to other people. I wish sometimes that I could just learn from other people. And uh, thankfully, I've got good people to advise me in my life. Amen. But um, I have to learn sometimes by doing, by making the mistake. And I've made a lot of mistakes. Uh, but for some reason, it just sinks in better that way. You know, uh, when I was a kid, uh, I was in the Cubs uh, back in my little town of Earthlingborough. And we entered in a football tournament and for some reason I was in the team, which is a mystery to me to this day because I wasn't really good at football. Um, I was passionate, but I wasn't good at football. And so we're in this football tournament in Russian Sports Centre and uh, it's, it's the first round match and I'm in the game and we're playing football and I think I was a substitute to begin with and I get brought off the bench and I'm playing this game and uh, it's a draw, right? The game's a draw. And so it's a competition, so it goes to penalties. And I remember to this day, there were three penalties per team. And so the first guy steps up and takes his penalty. The second guy steps up and takes his penalty. And then I stepped up and said, don't worry, I've got this. I'm going to do this with such a zeal that everyone kind of like, I could see there were people like, really? 
really? And uh, but I did. I got up and I, I zealously sort of shut everyone else down and got up and I took this penalty. And in my mind, the ball was going into the corner of the goal, and uh, that was where it was going, which is a problem for me because my mind sometimes thinks about the fantasy about what's going to happen but what happens in reality is actually not what happened so I ran up and I kicked the ball and I kicked the ball looking at the goal and I completely missed the goal and I could hear behind me there was a mixture of laughter and anger and these people were and I just ran into the changing rooms and they came in they were ridiculing me and uh, and and I just and it's and it but scarred me to this day you know I still remember this time um, but I, I, I got up with a zeal but I didn't have the knowledge I didn't know what I was doing and uh, and everything went pear-shaped you know sometimes we just need to stand back and look at what the Bible teaches you know the Bible does say um, that in Psalm 46 it says to be still and know that I am God you know sometimes our feet want to rush into doing things and uh, and uh, what we really need to do is stop and look at the Bible you know there are so many branches of Christianity so many divisions and splits in different churches because this group's running after this uh, doctrine or that group's running after this scripture and what we need to do is come together we need to look at what the Bible teaches to stop and just look at what the Bible teaches David takes a, a time to stop he takes a time to go back three months uh, the, the the ark is sitting there in Uzzah's house a little aside there in uh, Abinadab's house Uzzah had grown up with the ark right him and his brother and uh, they were young men and the ark had been in their house 20 years and they'd had all these blessings you know that had happened in their house you know I just wonder sometimes that us in, our, in the western world we've got so many blessings so many incredible things in our lives that it's easy for us to take for granted the blessings of God and uh, just to really uh, not appreciate um, that it's actually God working in our lives and letting God work in our lives sometimes we think it's, it's us right it's our skill or our power or we don't need God because we can do things ourselves I think David really thought that he could do this thing himself but God had another plan for David you know if we want to live lives that please God yes we need to know how to please God but secondly we've got to choose to be brave David had three months to to really think about what he'd done wrong and I believe in those three months he went back and he listened and he looked at the scriptures and um, and he went on this journey didn't he? he was angry and then he was fearful but he came back let's have a look in 2nd Samuel 6 again let's pick it up from from verse 12 actually from verse 11 it says and the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household and then it was told King David the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God so David went and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing and when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. You know, it's amazing that this time David 
gets it right. He's following the, the scriptures. He's got the right people carrying the ark. He's treating it with the right amount of reverence, the right amount of respect. And what's amazing is this picture of him dancing uh, before the ark in this linen ephod. Actually, um, some some translations say that that's the, the linen ephod was the, the clothes that the priest would wear. The high priest would wear this linen ephod. And so David was, in a sense, was like, it's kind of a bit messianic, isn't it? He was a bit of a the king and the priest going there with the ark, which we know, in a sense, is a is a, a type of Christ, a foretelling of Christ. You know, David had to choose to be brave. You know, he'd been humiliated in front of all the warriors, all the people, and it all backfired his plan. And he could have easily given up there or just sort of, we're not going to bother with that. We're just going to carry on doing it. I'm going to do it this way. But no, he gets all the people of Israel, not just the young men, not the people he's just trying to impress, but everybody. And he brings them again and he gets them before the ark again. And this time they do it right. David steps back into the action. He chooses to be brave. But you see, he realises it's not about him. It's about God this time. You know, if you want to read about the story in more detail in 1 Chronicles 13, it's the parallel, parallel passage. Um, David had to choose to be brave and not worry about what other people were going to think or not worry about what was, what was thought about him. You know, recently, Marianne and I, uh, my wife, we watched uh, a Brenny Brown uh, programme on Netflix which was talking about courage. And she asked this theatre audience, you know, like who of you grew up thinking courage was a, a good thing? And everybody puts their hand up and yeah, yeah, courage is great. And then they put their hands down. And then she says, well, how about vulnerability? How about vulnerability? Is that a good thing? And, and a few people, maybe one or two put their hands up and most people kept their hands down. Well, she said, here's the deal. There is no courage without vulnerability. And she shared how she'd done some work with some Navy SEALs who were like the, the SAS of the, the American uh, Navy. And uh, she talked, asked them the same question. And one of the soldiers had put his hand up and said, no, you can't have courage without vulnerability because courage in practice is taking risks, is being vulnerable. It made me really think about the risks that, that, uh, that we take as Christians, the risks that we take in being vulnerable with people, the risks we take sometimes in sharing our story or our lives with people. Turn with me just quickly into John chapter 2, because there was another time when Jesus took an amazing risk. And it was right at the start of his ministry. Um, it was just when he had uh, gone around and met some of the disciples and they went up to Jerusalem for the Passover, which was one of the times... Uh, uh, in the Bible when everybody in the, in sorry in the Jewish calendar when everybody came to Jerusalem so everyone was there you all went to Jerusalem for the Passover and so everybody was there and Jesus came up and he went into the temple and uh, in the temple you had a situation where you had in the land the Roman currency but then they had a temple currency was actual Tyrian silver coins not Romans which had more silver in them and so the temple only really accepted these Tyrian silver coins and so they had to change them so they had these kind of like uh, change booths where you can come with your Roman coins and swap them for these temple coins and so people were kind of like making a bit of a profit on the side there in the in the in the temple courts 
And also, just to make life easier so you didn't have to bring your sacrifice with you, you could buy, you know, sacrificial animals there, there's some doves or this or whatever you wanted to buy, and then you could take it up there. So you'd swap your money, buy your sacrifice, go. It was like, like supermarket sacrifice, as it were. And uh, so Jesus goes up there and he sees this, and it's just so far away from having that sacrificial heart that he just sits down and he makes his whip and he just starts you know tearing the place apart you know drives them out of the temple he says with the, with the whip drives them out of the temple courts knocking money everywhere trashing everything and the disciples see this and they're like whoa you know what is going on here this isn't what i signed up for but then they remember it says in john chapter 2 verse 17 his disciples remembered that it was written zeal for your house will consume me you know that's a direct quote from psalm 69 which we're going to dip into a couple of times today but psalm 69 um in verse 9 it says uh, for zeal for your house has consumed me and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me when i wept and humbled my soul with fasting it became my reproach when i made sackcloth my clothing i became a byword to them i am the talk of those who sit in the gate and the drunkards make songs about me but as for me my prayer is to you O lord and an acceptable time O god in the abundance of your steadfast love answer me in your saving faithfulness such an incredible psalm psalm 69 and uh, actually it's one of the messianic psalms because it goes on and, and talks a little bit about uh, about the cross and about some of the things that happened to jesus and uh, we'll dip into it again in a bit but it's just such an incredible psalm about jesus being vulnerable and not caring what people think about him not caring and of course when we stand up and share our convictions and share our faith uh, we're going to be sources of scorn you know recently I was with a member of my family and uh, I went down to spend some time and as predicted every time I go down there um, this person attacks my faith and they were kind of saying to me uh, you're stupid for believing that Jesus rose from the dead it's impossible you're stupid and um you know my, my heart was like like every time why do i sort of subject myself to this abuse although it's a good thing if you read in matthew 5 and matthew 6 uh when we are abused for our for the lord right um but anyway i'm sitting there i wasn't thinking that at the time i was thinking like please lord can this end now can we go to bed please um anyway but the abuse was coming on but underneath that abuse we, we had another discussion the next morning and it just sort of came out that, that person just really struggled with the idea of believing in the resurrection and that was the stumbling block for them you know and uh, gave me an opportunity to share specifically about that situation and really talk about that and really what had changed me and what had changed my life and what had helped me to believe you know there's no courage without vulnerability we have to share our story but as Christians as well, we have to be prepared to listen to each other's story if we're going to add to that pool of meaning sometimes. Because I really believe that when people hear how God's grace has changed other people's lives, then they really hear the voice of God. You know, we need to choose to be brave if we want to live lives 
that please God. And we need to sometimes be still and know that God is God, not us. It's not our way. But finally, we also need to get in on the action. You know, it's incredible in 2 Samuel 6, uh, this story of, uh, of the ark being brought up to Jerusalem. But there's another character in the story. Uh, that's Michal, the wife of David. Now, this is a great study in and of itself. And I'm going to just throw some notes at you about that because it's just such an incredible story. I didn't realise this, but um, in 1 Samuel 18, where Michal says that Michal loved David, it's the only time in the whole Bible where it says that a woman loves a man. It's just incredible, right? Michal was the youngest daughter of Saul. Um, and she, she'd she uh, been married to David. David had had to... Uh, he'd been offered Saul's eldest daughter but he didn't feel worthy so he didn't have her as a wife and then David uh, Saul was trying to get rid of David so he says look you can have my younger daughter but you've got to go and get me a uh, hundred uh, Philistine foreskins so David goes off and he kills a hundred Philistines and chops off their foreskins and brings them back as the the, dow, uh, the dowry I'm not sure um, how anybody would feel about that in this day and age we certainly don't suggest uh, that type of behavior um, but amen it's a long time ago and so uh, so so she's 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 paid for and she marries David uh, but Saul still wants to kill David and eventually she helps David to escape what's interesting is that she she hides her household gods in the bed and you do wonder what she's doing with household gods uh, you know there's certain ripples of paganism coming in there um, I don't know where her faith was at but anyway she helps David escape to buy him some time but she doesn't go with him and Saul in his rage he ends up giving Michal to uh, Paltiel giving her away to another man and so uh, many years later when David eventually does become king and he's got other wives then and he's got got children but he he uh, sends Abner who was the general of Saul's army but had become uh, onto David's side he sends her to go and get his wife and he brings back the wife and uh, and here he is as the king going into Jerusalem the king priest before the the ark and it's his crowning moment in a sense um, but she's not with him let's read um, from verse 16 in second Samuel 6 it says as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David Michal the daughter of Saul looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord and she despised him in her heart and they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it and David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord and when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed amongst all the people the whole multitude of Israel both men and women a cake of bread a portion of meat and a cake of raisins to each one then all the people departed each to his house and David returned to bless his household but Michal the daughter of Saul came out to meet David and said how the king of Israel honoured himself today uncovering himself today before the eyes of the servants female servants as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself and David said to Michal it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel the people of the Lord and I will celebrate before the Lord I will make myself yet more contemptible than this and I will be abased in your eyes 
but the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honour. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. You know, it's an amazing story, right? But she had chosen not to be with David. She was watching um, from a window of the house or wherever she was watching. And she despised David in her heart. And it does make you wonder, doesn't it? Well, what was going on? What was she thinking? What about me? You're not acting as a king should be acting. This is how a king should be acting. You're mixing with common people, slave girls. Look at you. You're dancing out of control. You're, 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 not, you're, you're showing yourself amazing amazing and uh, she's she's not part of the action but she's happy to be fully critical of what the action is and I don't know what was going on in her heart you know maybe she wanted to be loved she wanted to be number one in David's heart she wanted to be the one uh, who David adored and loved and yet David put God first and maybe she wrestled with that. I don't, I don't know what was going on. I think that's a study in and of itself. But sometimes I think, what about us? What about us? How are we when we see other people's zeal? It's easy, right, to be, to be critical, to be cynical, uh, to sit down and be negative, especially when we're not in on the action. I guess that's what gossip really is. You know, maybe she resents David for not putting her first and doing things her way. Um, the way it's always been done. Maybe it's just tradition. You're not being traditional. You're not doing it the right way. I don't know what it was that was eaten up Mikal, but the price for her was a high, high price. You know, in Romans 12, uh, Romans 12, verse 11, it says, I'll actually pick it up from verse 9. It says, the mark, this is the marks of a true Christian. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honour. Do not be lazy in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, Con uh, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You know, we're going to be looking at communion in a moment and we're going to have a quick look in... Uh, in Philippines too because Jesus was the ultimate king who didn't act like uh, like everyone thought he should and he was despised for it you know he broke from tradition he poured himself out openly he mixed with people that nobody else would mix with who were considered unclean in the eyes of the world and uh, if you go back and if you read through Psalm 69 you sort of it goes on to describe in a sense how people treated Jesus as a messianic psalm um, that ends though in a choice to act uh, despite the world in verse 30 and 33 it says uh, I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving the poor will see and be glad the Lord hears the needy you know, being zealous is choosing to live a life that pleases God. You know, if we want to live lives that please God, then we've got to choose not to use God to please ourselves, but to seek to know what pleases God. Get into the word, study out the Bible, spend more time talking about it together. You know, discussing scripture, digging deep into that scripture. You know, we need to choose to be brave, to be vulnerable. 
and when we get knocked down which we will when we're vulnerable then just to get back up even when it hurts to get back up and when you need to choose to get in on the action not just be critics from afar you know there are too many of those already armchair critics and if we listen to them we'd never do anything you know i love philippines 2 it's one of my favorite passages and uh, in philippians 2 verse 5 it says have this mind among yourselves which is yours in christ jesus who though he was in the form of god did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross i love that that passage you know jesus was was god in the flesh he was the actual physical embodiment of God. It's when we look at the Gospels, it's so amazing. The heart of our Bible is just we see God in the flesh in Jesus Christ. But it says that we could have the mindset of Christ, that he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. You know, when things, when we have a man-made religion sometimes uh, and we try and do things our way and it doesn't work out, we just got to do things God's way. We don't need to be equal with God. That only leads to anger when we realise that we're not. But we need to empty ourselves. Not be afraid of what others think about ourselves, but be brave, even when it hurts. And it says we need to take the form of a servant. We have a mindset of Christ to meet the needs of God's people, choosing to obey God, whatever the costs. Why is that? Because Jesus has led the way making himself obedient even to death on a cross you know we want to feel the zeal if we really want to feel the zeal what does zeal feel like so you now got to stand at the foot of the cross and just be amazed at what jesus has done for us let's bow our heads in a word of prayer lord i thank you father that we have such a zealous example in Christ Jesus. That we know that that's your spirit, that's your love for us. And Jesus didn't care what people thought of him. He didn't care when people thought badly of him. He cared about what you think, God, and what you want, Lord, which is for all people to be saved, everyone to have a chance to know your love. And the Lord, we have such an incredible example that he lived that life in such an incredible way. And that he went to the cross, that he was obedient to you, even to death on a cross. Lord, help us to be obedient to you, Father. Help us and our church, Lord, to serve you, to be obedient to the scripture, to really seek to understand what your plan is for your church through this time and through any time father how that we can seek to build unity seek to be a body seek to be connected together and seek to serve one another in love and to seek to live zealous lives that really uh, to please you father to please you with our lives father we thank you for the cross we thank you that we have this example 
and beyond the cross, Lord, a hope that one day we'll be with you for all eternity, Father. Lord, I really pray that we can be joyful in that hope, that can, we can be patient in the affliction, Father, whether it's COVID or whether it's our bodies getting older, things not working the way they were supposed to, whether it's opposition, wh whatever that affliction may be, Father, help us to be patient and faithful in prayer, Lord. And help us, Lord, to have that servant heart of Jesus. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.